الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه ومن والاه أنا بي على شداد بن أوس رضي الله عنه عن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال إن الله كتب الإحسان على كل شيء فإذا قتلتم فأحسن القتلة وإذا زبحتم فأحسن الذبح وليحد أحدكم شفرته وليرح زبيحته رواه مسلم Alhamdulillah, brothers and sisters, we're continuing with the 40 hadith of Imam al-Nawawi, rahimahullah. And as we mentioned previously, these 40 hadith are the basic fundamentals and those concepts and those principles by which deen and Islam is based upon. So that every single hadith in this book is, you can say, a principle to live by. So one of the ways is when you read Quran and Hadith, make it a rule and a principle to live by. You know, sometimes you get these, these quotes, you know, never say never, or like never give up, or, you know, these cliche type of uh, motivations that you get in, uh, random. Try to, when you're studying and reading Hadith, make a principle out of what is, for example, the underlying message of that Hadith. Right? Like you'll read an ayah, the ayah could be like three lines long, but it has a principle. Yani, be grateful. Never give up. You, you can just summarize it in your own mind that this is Allah Ta'ala's message. So every hadith here that we're reading, a very important thing is how we can make it relevant is summarize it to one principle. Summarize that long hadith into one principle and then it becomes easy to live by. Otherwise, you're reading and reading and reading. Come to, you know, like, how many of you guys remember Aesop's fables? Aesop's fables, you have stories of, you know, the frog and the duck and, you know, all these. But then in the end, it said, the moral of the story is this. Remember, one way when you're studying the Quran and hadith, you have lengthy, lengthy ayat, lengthy, lengthy hadith. And you have long story, but take out the moral. Take out the, the purpose. Take out the principle, the usul. And this is the, the most effective way of studying the deen, is studying the deen through the usuls. There's usuls, there's principles. There's, what do you call, a rule of thumb. You know, when you go to a, a business, or you go to a company, or you go to a, you know, you know, uh, any, any expertise, any specific type of, you know, work that you're doing. They tell you, rule, you know, rule this, remember, don't do this, or do this, or always remember this. So, this is qawaid, qaida, a principle, usul, a base, something that you can base everything else upon. So here, Every single hadith is a principle to live by. Here, inshallah, this is hadith number 17, principle number 17. Look at it as principles. And just before we go into the hadith, the general principle here that we can take out is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants excellence and Allah wants beauty in every action that we do. That whatever act, whatever deed, whatever thing that you do, do it in the best manner, in the most beautiful manner. Don't do things haphazardly. You know? Don't do things just like 
tawakkal ala Allah, no, pre- no preparation, no thing, nothing, you know, just when you cook food, you just throw a bunch of things together. You know, something should be systematic. Something should be proper. Whatever we do, we should do it in the most beautiful way, in the most perfected way that we can. Now, inshallah, the details of it, we're going to look. But this is the principle. Whatever you do, perfect that. Make it excellent. Beautify it in the most beautiful manner. So, Abu Ya'la Shaddad ibn Aus. Abu Ya'la is the father of Ya'la. Shaddad is the name of the com- a companion. Ibn Aus, who was the son of Aus, he narrates that Inna Allah from the Prophet Sallallahu Verily, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala has ordained, and Allah Subhanahu wa Taala has commanded us and ordained for us perfection and beautification and goodness in everything that we do. Allah has written goodness, beauty, perfection, excellence in everything that we do. Now, that's kind of ambiguous, right? That's the principle. Beautify everything you do. Excel in everything you do. Make nice everything you do. When you do something, do it in a sanjidgi kisat. You know, like all of those, like do it with full yani, focus and give everything its due right. Give everything its due right. Now, this is very ambiguous. I, I don't know what that means. Now, the Prophet gives a very specific example. What am I talking about here? He says, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, فَإِذَا قَتَلْتُمْ فَأَحْسِنُ الْقِتْلَةِ so when you kill, kill in the most beautiful manner. And when you slaughter an animal, slaughter it in the most beautiful manner. And what is slaughtering in the most beautiful manner? Let one of you sharpen his knife and let the animal not suffer. The beauty of this hadith and the hadith of the Prophet is, is amazing. The Prophet is talking about do everything in the, in the most beautiful way. And then he mentions something that can never be beautiful, which is killing. You know, I mean, you have to slaughter an animal. You have to, you know, we all, we all love biryani and we love, you know, qurma and biryani and, you know, maqluba uh, uh, and all, all that good stuff, you know, we, 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 we like it. But like, animal has to die for us to eat that animal had to give its life but now the Prophet is teaching us a very important thing that even in something like killing of an animal there is a goodness in that there is an excellence in that there is a way that you can do it very beautifully there is a way that you can do it humanely and there is a way that you can do it very viciously and this is the beauty of the speech and the comprehensiveness of the speech and the fikr and the aql of the Prophet is that he didn't say, oh yeah, when, you write a, you know, when you're writing a letter, then write it very beautifully in good calligraphy. I mean, everybody knows when you're going to write. But he gives you the example of something that would never come to your mind that there can be perfection or beauty or goodness or... You get my point? Like, okay, just kill it. Put a bullet. Strangle it. Hit it with a baseball bat. And I mean, 
a lot of people that become vegans and vegetarians is like they see that, you know, how these people, you just, they, they take a, they put a, a, you know, bullet in an animal's head or they you know, take a baseball bat or they're like choking it or they, you know, pick it up and they hit it against a rock. And that's not ihsan. And the reality of slaughter in Islam, and we're going we're gonna to read some of the things that the Prophet ﷺ told us, nobody does that. What the prophetic way of slaughter and the prophetic way of killing an animal, nobody does that today. How humane was the prophetic method of slaughtering an animal? How humane it was and how beautiful it was, I don't think you can find that in today's slaughterhouses. And everything that goes on in slaughterhouses today is completely opposite of what we've been told in the sunnah. Complete opposite of ihsan. <laughs> and then, right, for us to even find that meat which the name of Allah is pronounced, that's a miracle in this day and age. Imagine, people, people fight with you about that, whereas even that, what we're doing today, is not according to the sunnah. So should we leave it all? That's what, this is another usul. مَا لَا يُدْرَكْ كُلُّهُ لَا يُتْرَكْ كُلُّهُ That which you can't achieve all of it, you don't leave all of it. Some people are like that. Oh, but they, are, they don't do the actual sunnah. You know what's the actual sunnah? Nobody follows that. So just go and get your meat from Lucky's. You know, just eat, you know, whatever. Beef and pork and whatever you can find because the actual sunnah, you won't find that anywhere. Right? This is not the correct thinking. Rather, what we should understand is take the best of what you can get. In that place where even the name of Allah is being pronounced, that is the most humane. That at least Allah's permission is being taken on this animal. So with that being said, Ihsan, in reality, the word Ihsan, what does it come from? Inna Allaha katab al-Ihsan ala kulli shay. Allah has ordained and Allah has required us to do ihsan. What is the actual literal definition of ihsan? Ihsan, the root of it is husn or hasuna, which means beauty, goodness, for something to be beautiful. Like we say, this is hasin. It means it's beautiful. So ihsan is the, you know, from the, from the verb um, uh, formation of if'al, and this has in it a trans, transitive ta'diyah. In other words, to make something else beautiful. So ihsan comes from husn, which means, the root word of it is husn, which is beauty. Ihsan means to make something else beautiful. So hasuna means for something to be good or for something to be beautiful. But ihsan means that you are trying to make something else beautiful. So what, what the literal definition of this hadith is, the literal definition, that verily Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made it necessary that we should do, we should, everything we do, we do that thing beautifully. In the most beautiful manner. Now it's explaining this. فَالْإِحْسَانُ إِلَىٰ نَفْسِهِ أَلَّا يُورِدَهَا مَوَارِدَ السُّوءِ وَلَا يَظْلِمَهَا بِمَعْصِيَةٍ وَلَا يُطِيعُهَا فِي كُلِّ مَا تُرِيدٍ وَلَا يُهَنِّيهَا بِشَفَاءِ غَيْظٍ He says, 
doing ihsan to yourself. Start with the self. Doing ihsan and goodness to yourself is that you should not put yourself in anything that harms you. Eating something that harms you. Using substances that harm you. Putting yourself in any situation that will cause harm to this nafs. And you should not do injustice to yourself by putting your nafs in any sin. Because that sin now will put you in the hellfire on the day of judgment. And anything that your nafs tells you, don't give it. Whatever you feel like doing, don't do it. It's not necessary that everything that your nafs demands of you, you have to do that. If your nafs demands for you to look at something that's inappropriate, don't give it that. To do something that's inappropriate, don't give it that. Go against what the demand of that nafs is. And don't make the nafs happy by letting out your anger. Like this is yani, things that you can, you know, that, that relates to your own nafs. You know? You know, we have a saying in Farsi, Don't dost your shikam so much. That's what it's saying. Like, give yourself what is the haq, your, your nafs has a right upon you. But we have a saying is that he loves his stomach very much. Meaning, he's in the khidmat of his stomach. Whatever his stomach is commanding him, he says, your, you know, your, uh, your ishara is my you know, command. I'll do exactly whatever you say. And in any other things of the nafs. This is doing ihsan. Yani, do yourself a favor. You know, we always hear that. Why don't you do yourself a favor? Give up smoking. Why don't you do yourself a favor? We say this. Do yourself a favor. You know, benefit your own self. And that's why Allah Azza wa Jal says in the Quran, In ahsantum ahsantum li anfusikum. In ahsantum ahsantum li anfusikum. Wa in asa'atum falaha. If you do good, you do good for your own self. This is that law, and this is another principle that when you do good, you see good. Whatever you do, what goes around, comes around. When you do ihsan, and when you have the intention of goodness, that will come at you. In another verse of the Quran, Allah Ta'ala says, إِنَّ رَحْمَةَ اللَّهِ قَرِيبٌ مِّنَ الْمُحْسِنِينَ Verily, the mercy of Allah is very, very near to those who do good. The people that do ihsan, the people that are muhsineen, the people that make intention that everything I do, I'm going to do it in the best manner. وَإِلَىٰ أَهْلِهِ And to his family. This was to himself. وَإِلَىٰ أَهْلِهِ To his family. أَنْ يُحْسِنَ عِشْرَتَهُمْ That he should live with them in the most beautiful manner. And this is an ajeeb thing. This is a very, you know, many religious people. And we, we, you know, we hear this. Many religious people, many pious people, you see them, subhanAllah, merciful and amazing akhlaq. And then you'll see that when it comes with the house, when it comes with the children, when it comes with the wife, it's like people are 100% terrified. And it's the whip and it's the stick. And, you know, because we've, 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 we've been exposed to various different types of, you know, religious people. And you have like people that are very, very religious. 
Like with their salat, they'll never miss their salat. With their Qur'an, they're right on the Qur'an. But when they go home, it's like a Fir'aun. Like, it's like this, this like, that's an angry relationship between the husband and wife. The relationship between husband and wife is like the relationship between a commander, the general, and his soldier. It's like the relationship between like police officer and you, like a, you, know, you stop the guy. You know, like when the cop stops you? License and registration, please. You know? License and registration. Mean, some people talk to their wives like that. Some people live with their family like that. So Ihsan is like, you know, it doesn't stop in the house of Allah. It doesn't stop with prayer. It doesn't stop when you're killing an animal. This is a very ajib hadith. And if you look at all of the sunnah teachings, it's like this is, this is an all-encompassing good that generates from a human being. A human being is just a, a place of mercy. A human being becomes like the markaz of all good a markaz of khair, a markaz, a center of rahmah. That doesn't mean he should not reprimand his children. That doesn't mean he should not teach his family. That doesn't mean he should not guide them. He should not scold them for if they do something wrong. It doesn't mean that he should not reprimand them. This is not what this hadith means. But what it means is, it, Ihsan doing good. There's a, there's a, there's a feeling of goodness that this person wants good for me, not this person wants to try to catch me. You know, there's, there's some relationships. I noticed that they're like a, a catch them relationship. And husband and wife are like that. And wallahi, when you live like that, the life inside the house becomes hell. Don't live like that. Like trying to catch your wife. Or trying to catch your husband. See, you did like that. See, you're telling people to do like this and look at how you're doing yourself. Don't live like a, you know, go and catch him. Bigirish kinagirit. Catch him before she catches you. And this is like, like a cat and mouse. Like a cat and mouse chase. Kulla umrishanamutarasta. Tuutukadi, tuutukadi. Tuutukadi, you did like this, you did like this. Catching, like cat and mouse catching one another. This type of relationship, wallahi, it makes life hell. There is no enjoyment in a life like that. The relationship should be what? Ihsan. How can I always do good? And how can I always... And then when you're always doing good, you're always receiving good. And wallahi, there's nothing greater than this. And when you do good, out of nowhere, you just bring flowers. One day, you just bring flowers. Out of nowhere, you just you come home and there's there's chai, there's biscuits, there's some nice things that you came from work and I, I made this for Subhanallah. And there, there's this, this continuous what we call uh, reciprocity. It's called reciprocity. You know, re reciprocal like it's coming ihsan being you're giving ihsan and you're getting ihsan. It's so beautiful. But then when you're in this relationship of like you know I'm master, you're a slave, I'm the commander. You're my subordinate, and this is the way it goes. These are the rules of my house. Dude, like, I don't know. I, you know, what I, what I came from and what my mentality is, is just, you know, you don't want to live in this type of kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's how home. They say home is, you know, home sweet home. 
They didn't say home, prison, home. You know, they say home, sweet home. Kenyai, shirin, aram, relax, no hell, no yelling, no, you know, you know, ghal maghal, no chaos. I just want to come and relax. I don't want to hear people criticizing each other. I don't want to hear people eating each other alive, you know, catching one another out. Wallahi, it's hell for the, for the husband and wife. And I'm telling you, please don't let your kids hear this. Please, I beg, I beg all those who are married, husband and wife, don't let your kids grow up seeing you and your wife or you and your husband. Don't let, the, don't let your kids see you as spouses fighting with one another. You are effectively damaging them mentally. I'm not going to go to this level, but this is a, a level of child abuse where husband is throwing things, wife is cussing, Husband is cussing, wife is criticizing, husband is saying, may your mother and father go to hell? May I piss on you? And all these other worst type of things that's being said, that child is recording it in his heart and in his mind. It's being etched. It's being engraved in the soul of that child. And you, you will be, the, any one of us, we will be the cause of what? The, this type of thing. I, you know, I remember one time I was, I was uh, you know, this, Yahya uh, was very, very young. I remember one time I, I, you know, I was screaming about something or I was mad about something. And I remember, you know, he just went like this. He was very little. From that day on, I, I, you know, sometimes you don't realize you get mad about something. Dads get mad. But then when I just saw, because that child is a mirror. You should, you should listen to those kids. When the child, he, he did this. And he closed his eyes. And then from that moment, I realized that this is very harmful. This should not happen. I should go, go outside, smack myself, go take a cold shower, do whatever what I want to do, but don't yell in front of the kids. Never ever do that in front of them because what it does, it, 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 hurts, it hurts them. And if it's once or twice, it won't hurt them. This is life. Once or twice, it won't hurt them. But when it's an everyday type of thing, when it's an every other day type of thing, you know what it is? It's, it starts becoming permanent damage. And it becomes recorded in them. So look at what he's saying. وَإِلَىٰ أَهْلِهِ أَيُّحْسِنَ إِشْرَتَهُمْ that he should live with them amicably. Living with them, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, this is the word. Do mu'ashara with them. Allah is telling husbands to have adab mu'asharat with their wife. Do you know what adab mu'asharat is? Adab mu'asharat, in our language, it means social conduct. Something that you do with, 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 a, with a guest. Allah is telling you, you should have adab and muashirat with your wives. To the men. It doesn't say for the women. Why I'm saying it doesn't say for the women? Women are naturally gentle. Women in their nature. Right? Men in their nature are naturally rough. They're naturally authoritative. Ar-rijalu qawwamuna ala nisa Quran says, men are authorities over women. It's very clear. We're not changing the Quran. That is why, because he's an authority, because he's superior, 
As the Quran has said, Therefore, when you deal with them, deal with them with proper adab muasharat This is how you do ihsan. وَلَا يُكَلِّفُهُمْ مَا لَا يُطِيقُونَ وَلَا يُضَيِّعُهُمْ I was one time dealing with the husband and wife case. You know, the husband and wife cases, you guys know I love them, right? So, my favorite part of the job. If it's a, if it's a success case, it makes me very, very happy, you know? But it's like t- literally taking the burdens and the, and the griefs of other people on my head, and it's very stressful. But there was one particular situation that I found extremely, and it affected me a lot. So I was speaking to a husband and wife, and these guys, they just like hated each other's guts. I'm talking about hated each other's guts to the maximum. That it was, the, it was near the end. So, you know, when I, you know, something happened, we were talking about, you know, uh, so, the, so the wife said, one thing that I will never do, I will never, they had like three, four kids. She said, one thing that I never did and I will never do is that I will never accuse my husband or disrespect him in front of my children. No matter what happens in between us. I hate his guts. I can't stand him. But in front of the kids, I tell them that this is your father. It is wajib for you to respect your dad. And vice versa with the husband as well. It was really amazing. When I heard this, this was the most beautiful thing that I ever heard. This is also a level of son because certain people, you look, nobody's perfect. No marriage is going to be perfect. Every marriage is not going to be heavenly marriage. You know, every couple is not going to be the perfect couple. And they're going to just click and you know, everything's going to be dandy every single day of your life. But there are rules. There are places where you have to draw the line. Ihsan, that my, this is the principle and rule of my life. I will never ever go to that limit that I will curse my wife in front of my kids because this is the mother of my children. Husbands. Ready? Husbands? Husbands, listen. If you divorce your wife till the day of judgment, your wife will still be the mother of your children. Till the day of judgment. Till qiyamah, till eternity. Eternity. There's a very interesting thing that I read. A man was divorced his wife. So they came and asked him, oh, tell us about, you know, Tell us about how she was. He says, you know, it's not respectful to talk about somebody's daughter. It's not respectful that she's the daughter of somebody. I don't talk about the daughter of anybody. No, when he was married, they were in the brink of divorce. So he said, what's the issue? What's the problem? He said, you know, it's not good that we expose the secret of our spouse. What's, because, you know, a lot of people say, my husband is the worst human being in the world. He's a deadbeat. He go to hell. You know, he's the you know, most worst person in the world, and he's corrupt, and he's fake, and he's... So what, they, they wanted to get out of, out of him. What do you say about your wife? He said, a, a, a husband does not expose the faults of his spouse. When he divorced her, they said, now, now you can tell us about her. 
He said, a person doesn't talk about the daughter of someone else. When she got married, he said, now you have something to say, right? Now you have something to say. He said, no, a man doesn't talk about another man's wife. You see? At every stage. You know? And you, you don't realize what you're doing. You're talking about uh, your, the father of your children. So this is what that woman said. I said, she said, no matter what, I will never talk bad about my husband in front of his children because I tell my kids, that is, that is your dad. You must respect your father. If we have an issue, you know, that's our problem. You have no right to disrespect your father. And I had so much respect for this woman. It was unbelievable. Yani, she knows where to draw the line. This is Ihsan. I mean, I'm talking about like that you show Ihsan. Ihsan fi kulli shay. Even in divorce. The, uh, do you know that there's talaq hasan There's a word. It's called talaq hasan There's a specific way of talaq to do it in the best manner. What's that? That when a woman, a man, he cannot reconciliate. He does whatever he can. And his wife is in a state of purity. She's not in her menses. And why we say this, I apologize, this is the sharia and this is how the Quran and the sunnah have explained it to us. When a woman is in her time of the month and a man cannot be, approach her intimately, he does not have raghbat for her. He does not have an inclination towards her with love, with affection. So, talaq hasan is that when there is no reconciliation in a mudda, in a period in which she is pure and she's not in her monthly period, that there is a ragba, there is a desire or there is a possibility for him to have intimate relations with her in that, not in the period, not in the time where he does not, or he cannot have intimate relations with her because there's a, there's a, there's a uh, natural disinclination. Well, I can't, have, I can't have anything to do with her intimately anyways, so just give her divorce. Because mentally it affects you. Like, I can't come close to her anyways. Okay, talaq you. No, you should give it at the time when your desire and your nafs has that capacity to, be, to, ha, be, to approach her intimately. Now when you're giving the divorce, you're not giving it out of your disinclination and you're not giving it out of what? Out of a lack of desire for her. You're giving it with full consciousness that intimately I have the capacity to do it. I can do it, but despite that, I cannot reconciliate with her. So you give one divorce. Then uh, one period passes, one haze period. And then when she becomes pure again, in the second tuhr, in the second state where you, it's permitted for you to come close to her intimately, in that second one, you give her the second divorce. And then you wait another period of menstruation. And then wait till that has been completed. And then when that tuhr comes, the clean period, where there is a raghbat, there is an inclination towards having intimacy with her, and there's a possibility. In that, you give the third one. What does this do? In every clean period, in every period in which it is possible for you to have intimacy with her, 
you are thinking to yourself and that gives you the time to think, to reconsider, to reassess, to, to see is this the right thing that I'm doing or not the right thing that I'm doing. And then when that, now that third has passed and you've done this each time, then that means truly you are doing it with a clean and you are doing it with a complete sane and sound mind. This is talaq sunnah and this is talaq hasan. We know what the Prophet said, do everything in the most beautiful manner. This is actually, and nobody knows about this. Nobody, nobody even knows, nobody even cares, and people do the talaq in the worst way. You get the out of my house right now. This. This is the worst. Or one, two, three. Khalas. This is the worst. This is the most damaging. And look at the way that the talaq was. And this is mentioned in Surah Talaq. Actually, this whole method of talaq, which is it's actually called, there's talaq there's talaq hasan and ahsan, or talaq sunnah. There's three. Or, okay, so there's hasan, ahsan, hasan, and sunnah, and bid'i. Talaq bid'i, this is in the, in the fiqh kitabs. Talaq sunnah is to do it in three or one. Yeah, so that's sunnah. Yeah, so you're doing one in every one of them. And then the talaq hasan, which is fine. You do only one in the tuhr. This is also permissible. And then talaq bid'i is doing all of them at once and not taking into consideration the tuhr or the hayz. Why all of this? I'm asking everybody, why? Why all of this? To think. Why did Allah did not give talaq to women? Because they're emotional. But now men are worse than women. Why did Allah give mallaka ar-rijal talaq? Allah gave the authority of talaq to men because they think these things. They think these things. Men are more political. Men are more diplomatic. Men, aqibatul umur. They think about awaqib. They think about, okay, I have to take care of my family. Okay, what do I have to do with, with earning a living? I got bills to pay. I got rent. I got, you know, generally. Generally. Like I said, cultures change. People are different. There's different mindsets. But we're talking about in 75-80% of the world, they're not like America and they're not like the West. And they don't think like women of America or women of the West. They don't. Generally, men are the ones who are thinking, how am I going to pay rent? What am I going to do? Where am I going to go? How do I... Tadbirul umur. How am I going to take care of the entire matters of my family? All of this planning, it requires thinking. You can't be, you can't be uh, uh, impulsive. You can't be like, oh, at a spur of the moment. But now, men are like that. That's why, the, so the objective is why women don't have the right of talaq. You need to, to verbalize it. Because they verbalize everything. They verbalize cussing you out. They verbalize saying gustahi. They say, they verbalize batamizi, right? This, this, this comes out of their mouth. They verbalize stuff. Generally. Maybe this is not applicable to everybody. Why the Prophet ﷺ made generalizations? Because the generalizations are true. Sorry. 
Feminists, hate me, shoot me, I really don't care. Go and look, 70% of the world, 80% of the world, it applies. No matter how much the feminists want to, you know, uh, kill themselves about it, but it's, it's just a reality. These gen the generalizations that are made, most of them are true. That's why it's not applicable everywhere. But 70, 80, 90% of the world, this is generally what, what goes on. But anyways, point being, Allah Azza wa Jal has given woman the right of divorce where she goes to a qadi then. She can go to a court. She can go to an imam. She can go to a scholar and say, this is my situation. And she can get it. But the reality of the matter is, then also, no matter what, nobody can give the divorce until the husband is in agreement with that. And even the qadi cannot give divorce until there's proof and until there's, subhanAllah, we have a sharia council. It's not a perfect system. But when a woman comes to get a divorce, it's not like going to a, and now some imams are doing this. Some imams, a lady comes, says, you know, my, my, my husband, I just can't take it anymore. He's so annoying. He's so this. Oh, no problem, sister. Come, 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 come. And he just writes a khat and he gives her a talaq nama. They do this. Our Sharia council, she comes, 30 scholars that are sitting there, imams, they hear her case. We bring in the husband. We hear his case. We rehear it and we rehear it and we rehear it as many times. We base both situations. So every two months we have a meeting. So two months, if there's no resolve, we give another two months. This is when a woman comes and a man is not divorcing. And we, you know, re-question him and question him over and over again. My point is, in all of these matters, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has required us to do even a thing like Talaq, even a thing like divorce, but it's become so nasty. We should remind ourselves that Khasta, Allah Ta'ala forbid, La Samahallah, La Samahallah. If we are in a situation like that, don't lose your ihsan in situations like that. This is the hardest thing. I think this is the this is the struggle of our deen. To not lose, you know, like I say, I lose our marbles, you know. To not lose your marbles, to not lose your mind, to not lose your ihsan, even in a matter that is so emotional like divorce. Everybody says this, I was angry. I said it out of anger. I was angry. Who gives divorce out of happiness? Who on earth gives divorce out of happiness? Honey, I love you. How are you? Here's some roses. And by the way, one, two, three. You're out. Nobody does that. So the point being is, this requires a lot of working on the self. And Allah has written ihsan upon his brothers and the brotherhood. Allah that he should not deceive them. But he should always be sincere towards them. And he should always treat the other one better. And he should carry the taklif that other people bring upon him. And he should honor them and respect them in every way that he can. And even to the prophets, a person should do ihsan. What is ihsan towards the prophets? That he should believe in him. And he should believe 
should believe that they are pure from all sins. And that they are the special elite of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he should be good towards everyone. Yani, and I, I, I'll tell you, like this hadith goes so deep that being good towards everything. I remember one time I was in madrasa and you know when you're there by the... I have to... Do you mind if I, if I demonstrate this? Everybody just... I'll demonstrate this. I have to demonstrate this because people do this. Just watch me. I was in madrasa one time. I'm going to use somebody's shoes. I'm going to use these shoes. So I was, leaving, I was leaving the madrasa, so I went like this. You see what I did? So my teacher told me this hadith. And he said, Allah has ordained softness. And he said this word, softness and kindness and easygoing. So he said, so I said, how do I do it? He said, do it like this. So when you get your shoes, just do like this. Like this. He said, look at what's the difference. Yeah. Or, for example, when people come in, this is another thing. Yeah, yeah, bro. Okay, just wait a minute. I, I'm, let me call you back. I'm just coming in the masjid right now. I don't know if you can realize how many times we've seen that. What is this? Is this Ihsan of entering in the masjid? This is the Ihsan of entering? On the phone, till the last minute, you're entering into the masjid. For God's sake, subhanAllah, you're so busy. Like, till the last second that you're, you don't even remember the dua. There's a, there's a great sheikh by the name of Sufyan Thawri. Thawr. So Thawr, Gawa Mega, Gaw. Thawr is, you know what Thawr. Yathirul Ard. So Thawr is Gawa Mega. So he was like this, walking into the masjid while he's chit-chatting. Walking in the masjid while he's chit-chatting. And he enters in the masjid with the left foot. So he says from the ghayb, from above, a sound came. Ya Thawr, ahada yadkhulu bab al-malik? Ahakada yadkhulu bab al-malik? Oh, Gao, is this the way you enter the door of the king? And from there it was known, Sufyan Thawri. Thawr? How did you get the name Gao? Like, I mean, it's like a, you know, nickname. Thawr is ox, cow, gao. Entered into the masjid with the left foot while he's chit-chatting. Ya Thawr. He heard the voice from the unseen. From that day on, he said, Ya Allah, astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk. That I have, you know, I am not in a state of understanding the ihsan of entering the... My dear brothers and sisters, this is hard. This is not easy. This requires a lot of tarbiyah and adab of the nafs. And those who are parents have to take this into 
much consideration. It starts with tarbiyah from a young age. That we don't raise kids that are like, you know, half creature, half insan, you know? Half jinn. Adab. I mean, this, this wasn't... What, what would you think about? And this happens all the time. I mean, sometimes it echoes so badly that I'm like in the khutbah and I'm just like, it'll stop me from the khutbah, it's so loud. Or two people talking in the masjid. It's not wrong to talk in the masjid. But wallahi, right when I start the khutbah, you know, every week this happens. Two uncles come in. And he's having a full like conversation just like this. No ihsan. No consideration. He's just like like talking like he wants his voice to reach Afghanistan. You know, sometimes when people get the phone call, they're talking. When it's a long distance, so when he, you know, when he gets a call here, he doesn't talk that loud. But when he gets a call there, then he makes his voice also long distance. Long distance, long distance. Do you understand what I'm saying? You can go on and on and on and on. Ihsan is almost in everything. Whereas these two people, they can talk to each other. You know, like, you can talk very soft where you would disturb anybody, but I don't know what goes on in their mind. You know what's going on in their mind? Seventy, eighty years. It's like so jahil are people. Are people where like where is this? You know, and, and I know what he's thinking. Like why he's talking loud. Do you know why he's talking loud? I know what he's thinking. I know why he's speaking loud, that person. Because he's saying, that guy that's sitting over there, he's giving a talk, his voice is so loud, so maybe you're not going to hear. So let me talk louder than him so you can hear me. I know his mentality. It's such a Gao mentality. Gao. Enemy Gao Tayar. Thawr. Exactly what it is. That Sada that came, who Sada Ghaibas. A donkey, a cow, wherever it is, it doesn't look like, okay, is this a good majlis that I should make a sound or not? Literally, ihsan can be applicable everywhere and anywhere. We should be conscious of this. And it has a lot to do with tarbiyah. It has a lot to do with adab. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this hadith talks about specifically ihsan to animals. Allah ta'ala has made that animal give its life. There's an interesting hadith that's mentioned here. That one time a sahabi was about to slaughter a sheep, the sheep ran. And it ran towards the direction of the Prophet So the Prophet grabbed, he said, Isbiri. Isbiri li amrillah. 
And he said, you, he said, you sheep have patience to the command of Allah. This is Allah's command. That Allah has given your life for this. And you, he says, you be kind and don't drag it by its leg. And don't take it as if you're executing this animal. Don't execute the animal. And I love there's a word that farmers use. And this is why, my dear brothers and sisters, there, you know, we should learn ihsan. There's farmers, they don't like to use the word slaughter anymore. Do you know what they use, the word? They say, we're harvesting these animals. It's a very beautiful word. So we, these are some animals, we're going to be harvesting five sheep, we're going to be har harvesting a hundred sheep this season. Harvesting. Because this is what it is. It's a harvest. Just like when you pick the fruits from the tree, and this is for, it's a cycle of life, it's a cycle of, of nature. This is also the cycle of nature. They say, we're going to kill these animals. We're going to slaughter these animals. They say, we're going to harvest. And it's beautiful. It's, a, it's, a, it's something of ihsan. It brings a specific concept in your mind that we're not ordered to make that animal suffer. So the Prophet said, be kind to the animal. And oh animal, have patience. And he's saying to the, to the sheep, isbiri li amrillah. Which shows that this is a command of Allah we're not commanded to be vegetarians. It is the command of Allah that a life has to be given so that a life can survive and live. Some people say, is it okay for Muslims to keep pets? The answer is the same. As long as it's not an unnecessary dog. So there's necessary dogs and unnecessary dogs. The necessary dog is a person who requires it for serious security, right? I'm not talking about, you know, uh, to guard your uh, basketball in the front yard. I'm not talking about that, right? I'm talking about serious security, like sheepdog. You know, they have sheepdogs. Ramadara, like he has a, a, a flock, 100, 200 sheep, and these dogs are trained specially for that. You see what I'm saying? So for that specific purpose, security purposes, sheepdog, these type of things is completely permissible. Um, but here he has to take into consideration when somebody asks, should I keep this animal? I always say, keep the animal if you are going to give full attention and full focus to that animal. A lot of kids, they get animals, they get cats, they get, you know, bunnies, or they get birds, and then what do they do? They're like torturing these birds. And some of these animals die at the hands of these kids. Cats, dogs, and they, you know, some kids, they love torturing animals. This is another thing that parents should watch out for this. When you see your kids, they like torturing animals, you should watch out for it. This, has a very, uh, this child has a sickness, has a, has a condition. You should teach them. I'll never forget one time. Should I tell the story? So one time, when, I was, when we were living in India, I remember there was a poor sick cat somewhere. Kids, listen to this story. There was a poor sick cat. So I said, this is fun. It's not moving. Poor thing was sick. So I was grabbing it by the tail and I was throwing it. like, And then it would go over there and then I would grab it. I was like six years old, five years old. I don't know. Younger than Zaki. And I would take it and I would just throw it. All of a sudden, my, 
my aunt, my khala, and she's like my elder sister. She was like a sister to me. She comes and she grabs me. She's like, what, what are you doing? You said, do you know what you're going to, you know what's going to happen? She scared the living lights out of me. She said, do you know what's going to happen? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to do the same thing to you in Jahannam that you're doing to this cat. I was crying. I was shaking. Oh my God. I was like, yeah? I said, yeah, that, you want the same thing to be done to you? You're going to go to hell? And life is going to be given to this cat and the cat is going to do the same thing to you. I'm like, oh my God, I was terrified. Never touched an animal in my life again. But I was getting enjoyment out of it. I was like grabbing it, throwing it there and like, Wah! it's like cats like flying outside. It's fun. It was fun. Why not? Tarbiyah. One time the Prophet saw a group of Sahabi kids. They went, they found a nest of birds. And they took the bird nest down and they were scaring the birds and playing with the birds and, you know? And the mother was coming and flapping her wings. And the Prophet saw. The Prophet became very angry. He said, put those birds back. Do, do you not see that the mother is, is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will punish a person for the torture that they do to these animals. Put that animal back. Do you not see the mother is so worried about this it's, it's, it's children, it's birds. Quickly put it back. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will curse the one who harms this animal. There was an ajeeb incident that is mentioned here. Subhanallah. It's mentioned that a wali of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was sharpening the knife and slaughtering a baby sheep in front of its mother. He was a, he was a, he was a pious he was a pious scholar. He said he, was, he didn't realize, but he was slaughtering the sheep in front of its mother. He said his, his hand, it became paralyzed. When he was doing that, his hand became paralyzed, as is mentioned in the story. And his hand became stuck like that. The next day, he saw that a, 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 a bird's nest had fallen on the ground. And the babies were scattered all over the place. And the mother was on the tree, and it kept going up and down, up and down, but it couldn't do anything. When he saw this, with his paralyzed hand, with one hand, he took those birds, he put them back in the nest, and he placed the nest back for the mother. He said after that, his paralyzed hand came back to normal again. Ajib. Yani, that do not underestimate this of harming creatures people talk about you know amnesty to animals or being humane or animal rights the prophet spoke about that years ago one time the sahaba they were in the marketplace they were sitting on their horses and they're talking to each other on their horses the prophet said he said allah did not make these horses seats for you to sit on and have conversation he said when you're going to talk and have a conversation come off of the animal and talk to one another because it burdens the back of the animal more than necessary. He said, Allah created them for riding, not for sitting. This is, this is so ajeeb. This is ihsan. Look at how deep this is. What are you talking about? It's sitting. No, they're not made for sitting. They're not chairs. They're animals to ride. They, Allah didn't create them as chairs. Allah created them as what you use to convey you to your place. So when you're riding them, you can sit on them. When you're not riding them, you should come down and not burden their backs. And he saw, well, you know, like, 
You probably seen in the westerns like two people are standing and they're having a conversation on the horse. You cannot do that. To that extent, the Prophet took into consideration the rights of animals. To that extent. And another hadith, it says, he passed by a person who he had his uh, uh, knee on the neck of the animal. No, his foot. He had placed the foot on the neck of the animal. And while he has his foot on the neck of the animal, he's standing and he's sharpening it like this. While he has his foot on the neck. Like we see in every qurbani, right? And the Prophet was passing by and he said, while he's sharpening it, the sheep is looking at him while he's sharpening the knife. And the Prophet said, أَفَلَا قَبْلَ هَذَا تُرِيدُ أَن تُمِيتَهَا مَوْتَانَ أَفَلَا قَبْلَ هَذَا Yani, couldn't you have sharpened your knife before put, putting your foot on his neck? أَفَلَا قَبْلَ هَذَا Could you have not done this before? And then he says, أَتُرِيدُ أَن تُمِيتَهَا مَوْتَتَانَ Do you want this sheep to die two deaths? You want to kill him twice? Kill him once with fear? And kill him the second time with actually killing him. Then he says, Why did you not sharpen your knife before you laid him down? I would like every single one of you, if you can, there is a video on YouTube. It's called Mercy Slaughter. Please watch this. And you will see what is the correct way in the most beautiful way. It's called mercy slaughter. It's amazing. So take note of that and please watch that because you will see in what beautiful way that this animal can be. And when you see that, you'll see the sunnah. I have not seen the sunnah anywhere else. They're just hanging things from its leg, killing one animal in front of another, killing the brother in front of the sister, killing the sister in front of the son. And it's just like, you know, straight Nazi, you know, concentration camp. You know what I'm talking about? It's like crazy what you see. And I mean, it is what it is. We shouldn't be done that way. If we can, if we have the capacity, I know a lot of the slaughterhouses, they don't even give you the option. You don't have the option. You go get chicken from the, even the Muslim slaughter, halal, you don't have the option. At, you know, the, the option you have is to buy whatever Allah's name is set upon it. That's the least that we can get. That's the most humane. And from amongst all the meats, the Muslim meat which the name of Allah is taken upon, that is, if, that is the most humane as well. So if you think that, you know, we're doing this and this is not humane, no, this is the halal that you're eating, the zabiha, is more humane than the other meats where they're kicking the animals and shocking the animals and punching the animals and baseball batting the animals and all these other crazy things. Malik, rahimahullah, narrates that Umar radiallahu anhu saw that a man was sharpening his knife while he was in front of the sheep. He hit him with his whip. Umar radiallahu hit him with his whip. Same thing that the Prophet said. He said, are you trying to scare the lights out of it? Trying to scare this animal and frighten this animal? 
وقد نهى عليه السلام عن صدر البهائم the prophet ﷺ forbade torturing of the animals and also the prophet ﷺ forbade branding the animal on the forehead do you guys know branding so what they do is on the back side so the cattle rancher the rancher he has a brand so he takes the fire he puts the iron in the fire and on the back side on the hide he puts his brand so you know who it belongs to so in the time of Jahiliyyah, they would do it on the forehead of the animal so the Prophet ﷺ saw an animal that was branded on its forehead and he said may Allah curse the one who has done this he said, do it on, if you're going to do it, do it on the back. And why it's done on the back is that this rear portion of an animal, it does not have the nerve endings. It does not have that sensitivity and nerve endings like a normal like people. If somebody were to brand you there, you know, you'd feel it. The animals don't feel it to that extent. They feel, but it's not to that level of sensitivity that branding them on their face. This is a sensitive area. Branding them on the back, you see, it doesn't, they don't get affected by it that much. And it causes them a lot of pain. So the Prophet ﷺ forbade this. He also said, That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has cursed the one who makes a living creature a target for target practice. This is another thing they used to do. They would put a chicken or they would put like a, a deer uh, not a deer, uh, what do you call it, like a sheep or a, a camel, and then they would do target practice. They would shoot it wherever it hits. One is a hunting animal. There's two types of animals. They're called Bahimatul An'am and Sayyid. Bahimatul An'am are livestock, right? You have to dhabh, you have to slaughter them. But animals that are game, we call them game. That, you can shoot it from far away because you can't catch it. It runs. It's wild animal. It's game. Game, you can shoot. And with the bullet or the arrow hits any part of the body, that is the zabiha. You don't need to do zabiha like this. If you shoot it with an arrow in the lung and it falls and it collapses and it dies, it's halal. You don't need to make zaba of the throat if you shoot and you say bismillah because it's game. That puncture... When you did that puncture, that was in place of the zabiha, shara'an. Yeah, when you get close, then you cut the throat. But if it dies from that wound, it is halal. But now, for a random animal, you can't do it for target practice. All of these things the Prophet ﷺ has mentioned about ihsan. And it mentions the method. You do not strangle the animal. You do not hit the animal. You do not stab the animal. And the reality of doing ihsan to these animals is that you shouldn't smack it on the ground. Some people like pick it up and they're like doing a body slam. I've seen that all. The things that we see in Qurbani, subhanAllah, literally suplex the sheep. I'm like, okay, bro, I know you took like MMA or something. You don't need to practice on the poor sheep. You literally, you know, suplex the sheep and probably broke the thing's neck. Like, you don't need to like slam it on the ground. And you should clear that place. So he's saying that with the left hand, you move, with the left hand, move the, what do you call, the wool, where it exposes the white part of the skin. So when you have the wool there, 
it's, it's, it's thick, right? So like, if you were to go like this, you see that? The wool in the, in, in, the, in the neck part is just like a beard area, right? So what do you do? Pull it away like this. So you can see the white. And then you cut so that it can become easier. Otherwise, for, two, for three, four seconds, you're just cutting through wool. It happens, even when the knife is not sharp. So you sharpen the knife. You clear that area. It's explaining here. With your left hand. That it's right under... So above the, above the windpipe and under the chin, this area in between. Above the windpipe, under the chin, in between that area. And laying it on its side. And even it's saying if you can, give it a couple of drinks of water. And making niyat that you're intending to slaughter this animal for the sake of Allah. And to say, Bismillahi Allahu Akbar. And to read the dua, Inni wajjahtu wajhiya lilladhi fatara samawati wal ard, if you can. Right? And this is not talking about just, you know, qurbani. Uh, this is talking about any animal that you slaughter. When they would slaughter, they would slaughter all their animals like this. That's why if you see mercy slaughter, it's very interesting. You know? These slaughters all of what they eat in like this. And that is why when these people, they lived such a wholesome life, everything that they put in their body, they knew from the point that it came out of the earth till the time it went in their body. They knew it. And they raised it. And they harvested it. And now I think all of these physical diseases and all of these disorders that are coming and as physically a lot of it comes from this like we don't know what we we eat where it comes from this thing that's in front of you where did it come from this wheat where did it come from it grew up it grew in a laboratory now you got this laboratory meat people are asking me if it's halal i said it's not even an animal it ain't even a creature you're eating like you're eating like a microchip it's like robotics you're eating a database. I don't know. They grew it. They grow this stuff in a laboratory. One thing to remember about this type of genetic food, one is about the halal or the haram of it. If the source of it is from a ma'kulu laham animal, it would be permissible. This is the general usul that scholars, if it is an animal that is generally permissible, like let's say it's from a cow. So now that is... The source of it is an animal whose flesh is permissible to consume. But now, they took the DNA and they grew it. And it's just meat. It's not an animal. It's just grow patties out of DNA. I don't know how the thing even works. How, what, is, what is the halal of it? First and foremost, don't eat a computer. That's my thing. Don't eat anything that grows out of a, a laboratory. Like I said, that you can't find the origin. This is crazy. People eat this stuff. You know? Be careful about, you know, be careful of what you put inside of your body. You know? They found in the Subway sandwiches, in the Subway tuna, they found the DNA of pigs. So, one, one take that I have on that. Look, I think that's D, the DNA of something. Do you know how deep? molecular level that is that they are doing research that's contamination 
that doesn't mean that the Subway sandwich tuna is haram. That's my take on it. Like, they didn't say that there was pork. They said they found DNA. What does that tell you? This is contamination. It comes from the, that, you know, the greasy hands or some of the utensils. They take from some of the utensils and they put it inside the trays. That tray carried salami. And then they put in that tray, they, put, they, they, they wash it or they don't wash it good enough or they don't disinfect it or whatever. And they're putting this tuna inside of trays that carried salami and they carried pork. So now you're going to test that. Obviously, you're going to find the DNA of something. DNA are remnants of something. It's not that the, the tuna has pork in it. So I, I want to clarify that. So just, there's a difference between something actually being pork or having pork in it and then that DNA. DNA is like really deep level. It's like you're going into the molecular level, isn't it? So when I, when I heard that, I, I thought about it a little bit. I said, DNA? Pork DNA? Like, they didn't say it was mixed like salami they found it. But it's contaminated. So what does that teach us? And he, that it is contaminated. And there's a possibility of contamination. So just something to be aware of. So they basically were saying they knew what they were putting inside their bodies to make zikr, to say Bismillah, Allahu Akbar, and to make sure that you've cut the three, two out of three. So the two veins and the windpipe, or just one vein and the windpipe, at least should be cut. And you shouldn't cut from the back, you should be cutting from here. And another thing it says, Sharpening of the knife is wajib in a dull knife. And it is mustahab in a sharp knife. Yani this has mustahabat and wajibat to this extent. So this hadith, brothers and sisters, it teaches us ihsan in everything. Now, I want to end with this. How can we have ihsan in everything? This goes back to the actual definition of ihsan that the Prophet gives us. That you should do everything as if Allah sees me. And you know, if you do if you know if you you know if he if you don't see him, then at least you realize that Allah sees you. If a person carries out everything that he does in his public or private life with this mentality that Allah is watching me at all times. Everything that you do, your treatment of your wife, your treatment of your kids, your treatment in the masjid, your treatment outside in the masjid, you being at work, you being at school, you being you know, in public or private, when you have this consciousness that Allah sees me at every situation, everything you do will become ihsan. That is the definition of the Prophet. In Allah kulli shay. It's a very easy sharh of this, Hafizab. The easy sharh is to realize that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sees me in everything that I do. And when you realize that, everything you do will be beautified. Like when you know you're you're working and your boss is not there, and then all of a sudden your boss comes, and then you know you're just like sitting really properly. Before you're not so focused, now when you know the boss is watching me, your focus becomes more. This is the reality of Ihsan. That when you realize this realization that Allah sees me, then your whole attitude and your whole demeanor changes. 
May Allah give us tawfiq to implement what has been said. Wa akhiru da'wana. Alhamdulillah.